You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A.com. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Excellent. So good to see you all here. Thank you to those of you who are not regular attenders of New Life Presbyterian Church. We are delighted you have chosen to spend your Easter Sunday morning with us here uh, at New Life. Thank you. And uh, it's so good to see uh, new faces and many familiar faces today as we come together to uh, remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You know, all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, record the resurrection. We're going to look at Matthew's account today. Uh, The text is printed for you in your worship folder, so you can follow along there. Uh, it's, It's the end of Matthew 27 and the beginning of Matthew 28. And we pick up the story uh, right after Jesus' corpse uh, has been placed in the tomb, taken off the cross and placed uh, in the tomb. That's where the story picks up. And if you're able, uh, one more time I'm going to ask you to please stand uh, for the reading of God's word. Starting at Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, that is the day after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people. He has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together as we start. Gracious God, give us open and fair minds and humble and teachable hearts to receive what you have revealed here in your word and to do what you have commanded. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, the essential message of Christianity is not a to-do list. It's an announcement. It's an announcement of good news. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world to take God's judgment for your sin. A judgment that would otherwise fall on you and me. That's what the cross is about. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was taking God's judgment for you. And so you would never have to. And of course that's a good thing because the judgment he took was the death penalty. What Jesus did in his life and in his death on the cross was three days later, three days after he was executed, God vindicated what he did. He accepted what he did uh, by raising him from the dead. Physically, bodily raised him from the dead. That is the make it or break it fact of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus as Pastor Robin said in the call to worship, right? If it's true, then everything that Jesus taught and claimed about himself is true. If the resurrection is not true, if it didn't happen, then we're all wasting our time here. And uh, I have staked my life and career on a fairy tale. Let's ask and answer two questions today. Just two questions. First, is believing in the resurrection a blind leap of faith? Is it a blind leap of faith? And then second, if the resurrection is true, what difference does it make? Why should it matter to you? Okay, so let's look at the first question then. Is believing in the resurrection a blind leap of faith? Short answer, no. But let me tell you why. Let me give you three reasons. Three reasons why believing in the resurrection is not a blind leap of faith. First, people say that believing in the resurrection is a blind leap because resurrections simply aren't possible. Right? I mean, how can you believe in something that isn't Possible. That would have to be a, a blind leap of faith. But listen, if your worldview embraces a, a, a living creator God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created life, then it is no leap to believe that the God who created life from nothing could also raise life from the dead. Right? That's not a leap if your worldview embraces an all-powerful, all-knowing God who intervenes in human history, right? If that's true, all things are possible. And if you really want to press it, if you don't embrace that worldview, if you don't believe uh, in God, if you believe that life emerged on its own in a godless universe, that you know, another way to say that is that life is essentially accidental, right? That, then you have no reason to believe that a resurrection couldn't also similarly randomly happen, right? There's nothing 
that would prevent it. There's nothing controlling the actions of the atoms. There's no God. There are no laws. So to say that the resurrection is impossible is to say way too much. It's simply to be inaccurate. Second reason why believing in the resurrection is not a leap in the dark is that those who say that it is a blind leap of faith uh, say it is because we know better now than they did then. You know, we're, we're a lot smarter. Or at least your phone is. Is the resurrection real? I don't know. Google it. Right? They lived in a pre-scientific age, and, and because they did, uh, we, we, we tend to think that we're smarter, right? The, and, and that they were more, let's put it polite, gullible, right? That they were more gullible than we are. Now, one of my heroes, C.S. Lewis, English uh, scholar and uh, author, uh, he, you know what he called that? He called that chronological snobbery. Right? Listen, you think about it. The people in Jesus' day in the ancient Near East had a lot more, were probably a lot more familiar with death than we are, especially in California, right? You can't even find a graveyard in Southern California, Right? I suspect most of you have never seen a dead body or, or sat by the bedside of someone uh, who is dying. Uh, life, you know, we've sort of sanitized death out of our lives, haven't we? They didn't. Uh, death was a, a, a very real part of their lives. They, they had to bury many children. They had to bury family members young those people knew when people were dead. And they knew dead people didn't rise up. Right? They weren't stupid. Right? Give you, I mean, to show you an example, a good example here, we've got the two Marys in Matthew's account coming to the tomb of Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. And they're there on the third day. But they didn't believe Jesus was going to rise from the dead, even though they, Jesus had told them over and over and over again, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'll be tried, found guilty, executed, but don't worry, on the third day I will rise again from the dead. He said that over and over and over again. Here it is the third day. The two Marys show up. Are they there to see a resurrection? No, they're there to finish the embalming process on his corpse. They didn't believe he was going to be resurrected even though he'd said it. And it's the same with the, with the male disciples who are conspicuously absent. You know, kudos to the women here. Performed a lot better uh, than the male disciples. Uh, you, but they, they were hiding out, afraid that what happened to Jesus may happen to them. But apparently not one of them had, the, you know, you had a thought. They're sitting around and they go, hey, you know, it's the third day. Remember what Jesus said about the third day? Maybe we ought to go check it out. Not one of them apparently said it. They didn't show up. 
Listen, their worldview may have been pre-scientific, but it was no less accepting of a resurrection than your worldview is. You can't explain the resurrection away as this this is just sort of the, the, the fantasies of gullible people. The third reason uh, that people say believing in the, in the resurrection is a blind leap in the dark is because they, don't, they either don't know or they are, they are ignoring the credible evidence that exists for the resurrection. There is credible evidence. Let me just mention a few pieces of that evidence, okay? Um, First, the resurrection accounts are written in such a way that you wouldn't have written them that way if you were fabricating a myth about Jesus, right? And you hear this all the time, right? Uh, That, uh, and contemporary critics of Christianity uh, will, will say to you that, uh, that the gospel accounts were written years after the events that uh, they uh, you know, purport to record. And, and, they, and they aren't accurate. It's a, it's a story. They were building a myth around Jesus, uh, a myth in, in particular that he rose from the dead in order to consolidate the church's power and position. Uh, you know, th- so they were they were they were building a religion from the ground up based around this myth that this rabbi Jesus had risen from the dead. Well, if that's what they did, then they really boned it up. They'd never have written it this way, right? Here's here's one big error in in in, in that theory, right? Um, Matthew, that we just read, and all the the other three gospel writers, all are consistent, absolutely consistent, in reporting that the first witnesses of the resurrection were women. Women. Now, that was a huge problem for the church. Uh, And and you would never have written it that way. Why? Because in that culture, in the ancient Near East, and, and you know, apologies, we've 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 come some way from from those days. But in that culture, women were not valued in many areas, and and one of the one of the places where women weren't valued was in just in the in the. Uh, in the fact-finding, in the courts, right? Uh, women were not allowed to testify in, in, uh, in court in the first century. They were deemed to be inherently unreliable witnesses. Yeah. They were referred, and, 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 so, and so, not surprisingly, right? The, the gospel accounts come out, and the, early, the earliest critics of Christianity point exactly here. How can you believe in this silly religion when its primary witnesses are half-hysterical women? That's what they said. I'm literally quoting. Right? So, listen, if, if, uh, if they were trying to fabricate a myth about Jesus, they would not have written the resurrection accounts as they did. The, it was a very inconvenient fact uh, for the early church. And, and if, if that's how they said it, and they 
consistently said it, it must have happened that way. Second, there was an official story that, that got put out after the resurrection by the critics and opponents of Jesus who said the disciples came and stole the body. Okay. Um, that, if you can read on in Matthew, you, you see how that happened. The, the, the guards were bribed to, to, to tell that story. And the story caught on, and it still catches on. I mean, you'll still hear this theory today that uh, you know, we, we know what the, the resurrection was. It was just a, a subversive act by the disciples who stole his body to make it look like he uh, had been raised. Well, a couple of things about that. First, notice that what it does, what what that story is, the official story of the critics of Christianity, it's an admission, isn't it, that the body wasn't in the tomb. They're admitting that. Because if they if they want if 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 in fact the body was in the tomb and they wanted to put this fledgling movement down, all they had to do was produce the corpse, and it had been all over. They never did that. And the the fact of the matter is, you know, they they made the story kind of hard to believe because they were worried. Right? We read it. Jesus said he was good. They, they remembered more better than the disciples. Remember, he said he was going to rise three days later. Let's put a guard on the tomb so nobody comes and steals the body. So, so the, to believe that a few illiterate fishermen could sneak by trained, armed military guards move a stone without waking them up and the chance of those guards being asleep was zero to none, right? But to move a, a stone that weighed more than a ton without creating a, a little bit of noise and then, and then go in, carry the corpse away past the guards again is, is inherently unreasonable. It just, it's, to believe that is to, is to stretch uh, the limits of credibility. The story doesn't hold water. Third, uh, from Matthew's account, we see, and actually from the others as well, that, and, and uh, it's funny, this one hit me, because I've always assumed, you know, the stone's rolled away and Jesus comes out. Well, that's not ha- what happened, right? The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. He was gone. The stone was rolled away to let the witnesses in. Read the account again, you'll see. Jesus had already gone, which is interesting. That, it, that's sort of left unexplained, which also gives, I think, some credibility to the resurrection accounts. But um, So, so the, the stones rolled back, the angel's sitting on the stone, and, uh, and, and he says to the women, come see the place where he lay. Right? He, inviting them to come into the tomb, look where Jesus' body had been. Now, I, you, you may have wondered about that. I did, because you think about that. It's not all that powerful, is it? I mean, they could, the, the women would go in, they did go in, and what would they see? Well, they, the tomb would be empty. There wouldn't be a body there, which is, okay, that's helpful, but it doesn't prove that the body was, that Jesus' body was resurrected, right? It just proves it's gone. 
So what's going on there? Well, it's not clear from Matthew's account, and here's why it's so great that we have four different accounts of the resurrection, because each provide different, different details, different perspective on the same event. Um, we, we know from Luke's account, and especially from John's account uh, of the resurrection, that the tomb was in fact not completely empty. That when you looked into the tomb, went into the tomb and looked where the body was, there was something there. What was it? It, it was the linen strips, the, the, the linen strips the, the sh- that shrouded Jesus' body. His, his body had been wrapped in linen strips, right? And those linen strips were still there. And both Luke and John tell us that there was something about those linen cloths that was both strange and convincing, From the description, you can gather that what what you've got there is they were the 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 linen strips were there where the body was, but but the strips are still wrapped up. So, like they're still wrapped around the corpse. So there were there were the shrouds that had been wrapped around Jesus' body. They're they're there still wrapped. And then there was the linen that had been wrapped around his head with a space between where his face would have been exposed. And that was there, still wrapped up. Here's the body still wrapped up, a little space for the face. Uh, But there was no body. So so imagine, you know, a mummy without the body inside, right? It would be like a collapsed cocoon. Or a, right, a, a balloon that the air had gone out of, right? Just now, you know, we, we live in an era of special effects and CG and all, right? We, we can see how, we, we can imagine that probably better than the disciples could. They're staring at that and they're, they, they, they're looking at it and go, something happened here that I have no categories for, to understand. But, but think about it, if, 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 uh, if the body had been stolen by somebody, the, the likelihood is the linen strips would have gone with the body, right? You'd just grab, grab the body and run. Or if they decided, you know, maybe we better make sure this is Jesus, so they unwrap him, it, the linen strips would have been just piled up everywhere. Uh, but n- this, right, this still wrapped up, but the body gone? That's what they describe. Uh, and uh, John tells us that when he went in to the tomb and saw the linen strips, he said, I immediately believed in the resurrection even though I hadn't seen the risen Jesus yet. So interesting. Fourth piece of evidence. Matthew tells us that when the two Marys saw Jesus, uh, they took hold of his feet now that's a, that's a, a sign of worship, but it's also a very important detail because we tend to think that the resurrection was uh, a visual event, that people saw Jesus uh, risen from the dead, and that is true, but it was always much more than a visual event. Right, a visual event could be, uh, could be written off as a case of mistaken identity, right, you, you, you see Jesus uh, and, uh, 
you know, you can just hear a lawyer just going, now, did you really see him? You know, how far? Did you have your glasses on, right? Uh, the, the, uh, or it could be dismissed as some kind of grief-induced hallucination. But the witnesses to the resurrection testified consistently that they saw Jesus, but they didn't just see Jesus, they touched him. They talked with him. They ate with him. In fact, Jesus invited that kind of investigation, right? Thomas, his disciple, one of his disciples said he would never believe until he had, that, until he had put his finger in the, in the spear wound of Jesus' side and touched his, the, the nail prints uh, in his hand. And Jesus said, come on, Thomas, here it is. Right? And Luke's gospel, he says, see, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. So the resurrection isn't just a visual event. It, 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 the, the witness is consistently testified, this is real. I mean, we've touched him. We talked to him. We ate with him, right? He ate barbecued fish, right? Um, appeared as Robin Red to, to uh, hundreds of people over a six-week period, at one, at one point to 500 people at the same, at the same event. Um, and most of those people, or not most, some were still alive when these accounts were put out. So you could check the veracity uh, of, of the account. And then five, I'll just close with this one, um, with the in terms of evidence. Um, Jesus says, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell the disciples I'll meet with them in Galilee. And Jesus does that. And, and what we don't want to forget is that every one of those disciples that Jesus met with, the risen Jesus met with, except one, everyone was martyred. Everyone was killed for his belief and his claim that he would not recant that Jesus Christ is alive and was risen from the dead. Now, this to me was one of, my, was one of the most powerful pieces of evidence for me when I was in college and beginning to question my faith and, and, and re-examine its roots and, you know, am I, am I really believing something that makes sense? And this, this was one of the things that I found most personally convincing. But you might say, well, you know, a lot, a lot of, all, all kinds of people die for things that they sincerely believe in, right? Whether those things they believe in are true or not, Right? like the 9-11 terrorists, right? Um, but I, let me quote to you from a fellow named Neil Shenvey. Neil Shenvey is a, uh, a, a, a writer now, uh, apologist for the Christian faith. He, he had been for years a research chemist at both Yale and Duke. And has done a lot of consideration about the, uh, the resurrection, facts around the resurrection. And he writes this about the 9-11 terrorist example. He says, what, what if the 9-11 terrorists were certain 
It's hypothetical. What if the 9-11 terrorists were certain that their religion, Islam, was not true? Would they, in that case, have been willing to kill themselves and thousands of others? What would they have had to gain? Likewise, we can infer that the apostles were sincere. Like the terrorists on 9-11, they would have had little to gain and a great deal to lose by acting upon a known falsehood. But here's the key line. But unlike the terrorists, the apostles were in a position to know with complete certainty whether their claims were true or not. Right? They were claiming to have seen, touched, and conversed with a man who had been executed just days earlier. If they had intentionally invented that claim, they would have known for certain that it was not worth dying for. And I would add to Shenvi, but if they knew it was true, if they had met and talked and ate with Jesus, then that claim would be infinitely worth dying for, just like they did. You really have to explain how, how, what it was that caused Christians, not just the apostles, but, but Christians in general, to, to die so well, to be thrown to the lions singing hymns, to be praying for their enemies, praying for their killers as they were tortured to death. How, how do you explain that unless they know that their king came through death on the other side and is going to take them with him? Amen. We could go on and on. Uh, at this, and I, I'm, I'm going to stop there. I, and and I, let me just say, I'm, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a former attorney. I know something about evidence. And I know this evidence doesn't prove in, in some sort of scientific or mathematical way uh, that the resurrection happened. But that's not how you prove human events. It's not how you establish human history, right? Uh, you, if you've ever had the privilege of serving on a jury there's there often seems to be the one in the jury room right you're looking at all the evidence and and there's one guy in the jury room who 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 says well i can come up with a, a whole other explanation that would make this guy innocent well yeah you could we probably all could the question is reasonable Based on the evidence, is, is that position reasonable? Is it reasonable doubt? And then you're in the jury, right? It's a, in the room, 11 to 1, trying to f- convince this guy that his doubt isn't reasonable. So you can render a verdict, right? No jury renders a verdict with mathematical precision, you know, computer-generated accuracy. It's a, it's, it's a weighing of the evidence, and coming to a reasonable conclusion. And I would put it to you, if you do that, uh, there is a very, very good case to be made for the reality of the resurrection, even though it, it, it's uh, outside of so many of our worldviews. Right? It, it, the, the stories are... are, are rampant. Uh, one of the most popular these days is a fellow named Lee Strobel, who is a journalist 
atheistic journalist uh, who, who took on the project of, of uh, because his wife had converted to Christianity, he was really angry about that. So he took on, he, as a journalist, he took on the task, I'm going to write the book that disproves this whole thing, and of course, you know how it ends. He, 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 he does the journalistic uh, investigation, examines the facts, and becomes a believer himself. That's not an unusual story. Uh, what's unusual is, that is, is we just don't wrestle with the evidence, really. We don't wrestle with it enough. All right, well, let's get to the second question. If I've established that, let's just assume now that the resurrection is true, okay? And if it's true, uh, as the Bible claims it is, and as millions believe, have millions of believed through the centuries, millions believe today, uh, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Well, this is a huge question. Because uh, it makes all the difference in the world to your life, but... Uh, I'm going to focus on just one thing, just one thing here. And, and this one thing comes from the first words that the angels said to the women and the first words that Jesus said to the women, the risen Jesus said to the women, right? Now, actually, that's the, the, actually the first word Jesus said to the woman, women was high, Right now, our our translation says greetings. That's too formal. Um, the the King James really got it wrong. King James, I think, is all hail. <laughs> Jesus did not say all hail. He said hi. You gotta love Jesus' understatement. It's just it's a it, there's. There's, a, there's power in that humorous understatement. The, the Greek word that's translated there is, uh, is still the common street greeting in Greece today. And the, the, the best English equivalent would be, hi, how are you? What's happening? Right? Uh, but I want to tr- uh, focus, so focus on what Jesus said after he said hi. And, and the thing he said after he said hi was the same thing the angel said and that is do not be afraid do not be afraid Uh, simply put friends the resurrection of Jesus means the end of fear the end of fear and is that a good word today when so many of us are struggling with fear at so many levels Let's talk about the, the, the first the, with the angels, uh, the angels speaking to the women. And the angel says um, he knows that the women are afraid because they believe Jesus was dead. I'm, I'm sure there was some fear seeing an angel, right, and, and experiencing an earthquake. That's, I'm sure that's part of it. But primarily they were afraid because they believed Jesus was dead. In verse 5, see, he, that's where the angel speaks. He says, do not be afraid for or because, do not be afraid because I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. See, so the, the, their fear is linked to their knowledge that they believe, their, their belief that Jesus is now dead. Well, what were they afraid of now that Jesus is dead? I I believe they were afraid of 
same things that you and I are afraid of, but sometimes we won't admit. Number one, we're afraid that if we're fully known, we're not going to be fully loved. Think about it. Be honest, right? You know yourself better than anyone. You know that you don't reveal everything. You've, you've got a, there, there, there's a person inside you that you don't reveal to the world outside because if you, you think that if people really knew who you are through and through, who you are down deep, you're afraid that you wouldn't be loved. They wouldn't be accepted. You wouldn't have a friend. Jesus was different. Jesus is different. Jesus fully knows people. He knows you better than you. He's God. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. And, And though he fully knows you, he fully loves you. Right? Christians. Right? Think about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene's case, right? She was, there was a lot of darkness in her life, a lot of scandal in her past. Jesus knew it, forgave it, and loved her, even though he knew that fully. With him gone, with Jesus gone, would she, you can just feel it, would she ever ever be fully known and fully loved again? Or would she go back to being despised and marginalized and hated as that, as that woman with the, with the past? Hey, the resurrection, friends, means the end of the fear of being fully known and not fully loved. Jesus died to forgive you of all the dark things in your life He was raised for the joy of forgiving you, loving you, having you with him in eternal life. You don't have to fear being fully known and therefore not fully loved. Second, with the death of Jesus, you know, everything for these two Marys was dark, right? Hopeless, irreversible, out of control. Their whole life had collapsed in front of them with the death uh, of Jesus. And so they were naturally afraid. And I ask you, do you feel the same way? Of course you do. I mean, maybe you do today, maybe you don't, not today, but just wait until tomorrow, right? I mean, we're, You may be facing the death of a loved one. You just experience the death of a loved one. You, you may be dealing with sickness in your family. You may be dealing with fractured and alienated relationships with family members and friends. Yeah, you may have just lost your job and you don't know what you're going to do and how you're going to pay the bills. I, you know, listen, I, I, we're, we're all ex- we, we all experience the dark, the hopeless, the irreversible, the out of my control, I have no idea what to do, can't do anything. Jesus' resurrection means that the irreversible is reversible. Right? That the one who fully knows you and loves you is alive and managing even the dark and hopeless times for your ultimate good. 
There's great mystery there. We don't often see it, but that's how powerful God is. To be able to take what's out of our control, to take what we can't reverse, to take what's so dark and hopeless and somehow powerfully weave it together for good. Third, you know, the women were afraid because it looked to them like death got the last word. Certainly that, you know, as they go to the tomb, it looked to them for all the world like death won here. That death wins. And that's what the world will tell you. The world just hammers it into you, doesn't it? That this is how life is. That, that uh, all you have is the time you have here, and then you die, and then you rot. That there is nothing beyond your death. You cease to be. And you know, we just blithely accept that. You know, one of the good reasons to come to church is that it's a space to perhaps think a little more deeply about questions like that. Do I just cease to exist when I physically die? Am I, am I gone? Right? If that's true, think about it, then doesn't death render everything ultimately meaningless? Futile? Why are you working so hard? Why are you investing so much in that relationship? Why are you sacrificing so deeply if all of it just disappears in the ground in a week or two or a month or two or a year or two? Down deep, we know when we think about it and we wrestle with these things, we know that life is not meaningless that it shouldn't be meaningless, and that your love and your work and your relationships have a value that transcends your physical dying. Those things shouldn't end by death. There's something wrong with that. Friends, Jesus' resurrection means the end of the fear of death. Death does not get the last word. Jesus does. So the women run away to tell the disciples and they run right into Jesus, right? Who says, hi. (laughs) And then commands them, do not be afraid. Same thing as the angel. But I think Jesus is talking about a different fear here. It's It's a fear that you can relate to, too, I think. Notice what Jesus says right after he says, don't be afraid. It's different from what the angel said. The angel says, don't be afraid, now go tell the disciples, verse 7. But in in verse 10, Jesus says, don't be afraid, now go tell my brothers. That's a huge difference, isn't it? The women were afraid, the disciples were afraid, and were afraid that we have so failed God, so disappointed God, so let God down by our sin and our ingratitude and our lack of faithfulness that he is going to write us off, that he's not going to have anything more to do with us. When Jesus called his messed up, failing, weak Disciples, the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead. When he called them brothers, friends, that signaled that Jesus' resurrection means the end of fear, the fear of being written off by God. 
Jesus knowingly and willingly went to the cross for your failures, your ingratitude, your half-heartedness, your sin. That's all we bring to the table, right? It's not about performing so well that Jesus will accept you. It's about holding on to Jesus by faith. It's his merit that matters. It's his merit that covers all of my demerit. Okay, closing with this. One last thing. Just full disclosure, okay? I've said that Jesus' resurrection means the end of fear, and that's true, but it's true only for those who trust in Jesus Christ, who believe in Jesus Christ as their crucified and risen king. And if that's not you, and you know, every Sunday we, we have people here who come because they're examining the faith, they're looking into the faith, they want to know about the faith. And if that's not you, I mean, if you, if you don't uh, uh, believe in Jesus uh, as the crucified and risen Lord and Savior of your life, then the resurrection doesn't mean the end of fear for you. It probably means the confirmation of fear. Right, you know, because if the resurrection of Jesus is real and true, then Jesus is who He said He was. He's the Son of God. He's the coming Judge of the world. Therefore, you, like every human being on the planet, are ultimately accountable to Jesus for how you've lived. And that may be a source of fear for you, and it's actually a legitimate fear. It's a. Um, You may fear having to acknowledge the divine lordship of Jesus. You may fear having to build your life around him rather than around yourself. You may fear what other people might think of you if you became a Christian. You may fear uh, having to change. And because of that fear, you may say you don't want any part of that. Listen, I understand. I understand that pushback. We, it, Sin, you know, the Bible calls sin. One of the primary manifestations of sin is that we causes us to push back against authority. Humans push back against authority, and the biggest authority of all is the Lord Jesus. <laughs> right? And we push back against him hard. We don't like that kind of accountability in our natural state. So just, just know this, okay? The stakes are high. They really are life and death. But also know this. I want you to know this. Jesus fully knows you. He knows what you know down deep, that you don't measure up. None of us does. We don't measure up to a holy God. But if you confess your sin, if you turn to him and acknowledge him uh, as your crucified and risen God, he will not turn you away. He will not reject you, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've left undone. And he'll fully forgive you and fully love you with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And friends, all fear will be gone. And that's living. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... Uh, the record of the, the resurrection. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who lived in our place and died in our place and was raised to guarantee our place with you. Um, Lord, you know, there is none of us that sits here because we've been so good. We are, we are here 
because you, Jesus, have been so good and are so good. Um, so thank you. And uh, we, we, um, we take this one Sunday out of the year to really focus on and think about the resurrection. And I pray, Lord, that as we do that, that it would, for the believers here, that it would strengthen their faith and confirm them in the faith. For those, Lord, who don't believe in you, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would create faith and reveal yourself to them, even today. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.